Morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Hey, before we get started into our message this morning, really quick, I just want to tell you, we are going to have another Baptism Sunday, uh, not today, I wish it was today, uh, July 18th. And so if you need to get baptized, what I want you to do is I want you to sign up today. A baptism is a visible representation of what's happened on the inside when you become a believer of Jesus. So when you see someone get baptized, I'm standing on our baptismal right now, hopefully I don't fall in. Uh, you see someone go down right in the, to get baptized, it's representative of their old life is being buried and they're coming up a new person. Or we say, when you believe in Jesus, he's washed away your sins. And baptism is something that every Christian believer is commanded to do in the New Testament. Uh, we sometimes describe it as, uh, baptism doesn't save you, but it's like the wedding ring of the Christian faith. It sort of marks you as, I'm, I'm his. I'm a follower of Jesus. And so if you haven't been baptized, maybe, you, maybe you've been a believer for a little while now, and you've just kind of been putting this off, uh, this, is, this is the time. Let's do this July 18th, all right? There are a lot of you actually in this room who you've become a believer in Jesus just in the last few months. You stood up in a service, you raised your hand or something. This is absolutely the next step for you. This is you on July 18th, all right? And so I actually want you to sign up today. You can get out your phone. You just, just do it right now, right? It's just a way to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it. You can do it on our website, our app, or if you don't want to use your phone, you can sign up in the lobby on the way out as well, Okay. So let's do it. July 18th? Good. Glad we have this talk. Okay. We are, it was really just a two-way conversation. We are going to move uh, back in. We're, today we're resuming our summer series on the life of Elijah. If you are visiting for the very first time today, let me kind of catch you up. Just take a minute here to show you where we are in history and in scripture. So we're studying the life of Elijah who lived uh, about 850 years-ish before Jesus in Israel. And Israel at the time was led by two wicked monarchs. And just whenever I say that, I just, I picture like two evil uh, butterflies. Maybe I wasn't the only one. Uh, <laughs> monarch. Uh, no, I, king and queen, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And these two were just awful because they led the people of Israel away from worshiping the one true God to worshiping false idols like Baal. So Elijah the prophet comes on the scene and he announces to them because of their wicked actions that God will not have it rain for a few years. We then see God take Elijah away from there. He keeps him uh, safely hidden by this brook. And over the next few years, God protects Elijah, and he trains him for what will come. So we're going to rejoin that story now in the Bible. So everybody grab a Bible. This is what we do here. We study God's word. So there's Bibles under the chair in front of you. Uh, we're going to be on page 244. Many of you bring your own Bibles. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app as well. Either way, we want you studying it because we believe this is God's revelation to us, and we, uh, we don't treat it lightly. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, take one with you when you leave today. Absolutely, this is our, our gift to you. So a significant amount of time has gone by here now, and it still hasn't rained. But now it's time for Elijah to start going back to Israel. So let's take a look. So 1 Kings chapter 18, page 244, we're going to start right at verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, After a long time, in the third year, that's the third year of the drought, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go. And present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. 
Now, the famine was severe in Samaria. Uh, Samaria was like the capital city of Israel at that time. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. Okay, so just to give you an idea how wicked Ahab is, his people are literally dying everywhere because of the famine, and he's worried about his horses. So that's who Ahab is. Okay, verse 6. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. (laughs) I just love Elijah. Okay, verse 9. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there's not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and I tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, I've worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Okay, so we're going to stop there. We are approximately about three years into this drought now. And as you can imagine, I mean, how long did it not rain here? Like three weeks or something like that? Imagine three years The famine is severe at this point. And so King Ahab's been sending people to all the surrounding nations to try and find Elijah because he thinks if he can find Elijah, the drought will end. Well, now Elijah's back in Israel and he's making his way to King Ahab. And on his way, he meets Obadiah. Now, Obadiah is another believer in the one true God, the Lord. And Obadiah sees Elijah and immediately he fears for his life. Now, if that didn't make sense to you as we read it, it's just basically he's afraid that He's going to go back to his boss, King Ahab, and say, hey, Elijah's here. And by the time he gets back, the Lord's whisked Elijah away somewhere else. And then what's Ahab going to say to Obadiah? He's going to say, you had him. And where is he? And then Obadiah will lose his head or whatever. So Elijah comforts Obadiah by saying, hey, don't worry about it. I'm actually, I'm going to go see him today, I promise. And you're going to actually have to come back next week to see that intense, awesome confrontation between King Ahab and the prophets of Baal and the prophet Elijah. And you absolutely have to catch the message next week because that is sort of the climax of the entire Elijah narrative. Everything sort of leads up to that. And then all the stories that come after that sort of come out of that intense moment. Now, I realize that next week is the 4th of July. Some of you are out of town. So if you're out of town, would you find a way, whether you podcast it or on Facebook or YouTube, everybody find a way to make sure that you are tuned into that passage next week so that we can, the rest of the summer will make sense. So I don't want you to miss that. Okay. 
let's talk a bit more about this interesting person of Obadiah. We're told, if you look at verse 3, we're told that Obadiah is the palace administrator. Did you catch that? So he's essentially like King Ahab's chief of staff. Some people would say that he was probably the second most powerful, I suppose you could put Jezebel in there, the third most powerful person in all of Israel. And this is kind of fascinating because we're told, uh, verse 12 says, Obadiah was a worshiper of the Lord since his youth. Verse 3 tells us that, I don't know why I just put up four. uh, Verse three tells us that he is not just a believer in God, but he is a devout believer in God. He's incredibly dedicated to the Lord. And yet he's the chief of staff in the regime of Ahab and Jezebel. I mean, can you imagine that as your workplace environment? What in the world would that have been like? Now, this may seem kind of odd to us, but I think what's really interesting is this actually is not an uncommon pattern in scripture. Let me give you a number of examples here. Okay, let's go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. A Joseph, right? He's Pharaoh's right-hand man in Egypt, and the Lord uses him mightily. Uh, what about Esther? God takes this amazing godly woman and puts her right into King Xerxes' palace, where she's able eventually to save her people. Daniel. Daniel is the chief advisor to the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar. You actually see this even in the New Testament. Philippians 4.22 tells us that there are believers that lived in Caesar's household in Rome. A really interesting one is Luke chapter 8. There's a woman named Joanna, and we're told that Joanna was the household manager for the wicked King Herod. Can you imagine being in Herod's house as a believer on the day that John the Baptist was beheaded? But you have all of these people that are in really high, important positions in sort of awkward places. And I think you see this in part because believers are typically trustworthy people. They're reliable. They live lives of integrity. And so there's sort of a natural lot of this. They just naturally get promoted. And then secondly, I think God often wants believers in those dark places so they can have a godly influence. Now, as you think about your life, I'm guessing you don't work in a dark palace uh, like the palace of King Ahab, but in reality, most Christians do work in environments that are spiritually or morally complex, right? Many Christians, and, and many of you, this is your life, we've got to navigate around all sorts of different types of sin in interesting ways at work or even in our friendship groups. In fact, let me give you another, a number of examples here to help this make sense. Okay, let's say you work at a doctor's office uh, or a hospital, um, but you know that where you work that there are some procedures that happen or some things that happen there that you maybe don't agree with as a Christian. Uh, what if you are a server, a server at a restaurant? Some of you are. And you, let's say you serve alcohol at your restaurant. And you're serving to someone who has a drink, and then they have another drink, and you know if you give them another drink that they're going to get drunk. What if you work at a hotel, and your job is to check in a couple to the room for the night that isn't married? What if you're a realtor, and you're supposed to help a couple that isn't married move in together? I mean, this is kind of real stuff that happens all the time, right? Right? Uh, Many of you uh, work in uh, corporations downtown 
corporations that are changing their stances on issues faster than anyone could have ever imagined. And so should you still work for a corporation, even though much of what they stand for now maybe is, isn't even biblical? Uh, others of you, you deal with these kind of things uh, not at work, uh, but in your friendship groups or in your family. Should you still engage with them, even if you feel like they're going down the wrong path? These are deep, they're serious, weighty questions for the Christian. And I think the core of what so many, I'm hearing this from so many people, especially in the last year or two, what so many Christians are asking in their lives as they think about their current situation, it's this question, should I stay there? Should I stay or should I go now? <clears throat> right? This is the question. It is, isn't it? Do, Lord, do I stay here? I think of, uh, what about like public school teachers? Um, sometimes those of us on staff or leadership joke that there have got to be at least 300 public school teachers that attend this church. Uh, it is by far the most common occupation of people at Renovation Church, I, I swear to you. Some of you who are public school teachers have, have said to us, you said, I'm worried that in the coming years that I'm going to have to do or I'm going to have to teach things that I just don't feel comfortable with as a Christian. So when that happens, should I stay? Should I stay and be a light in what could be a dark place? Or should I go and not be a part of that system? There are others of you who have said things to us before, like, I work at a small business, and that small business is becoming increasingly obsessed with just making money. And in their pursuit of making money, it seems every week that they tend to just blur the lines of ethics. And we're talking about lying and cheating and all of these things. Should I stay or should I go? Now, what's really interesting about this passage, 1 Kings chapter 18, and even back into 17, as you study the context of this, is you have two incredible believers whom God has told to do opposite things. So think about this. God tells Obadiah he's supposed to stay right there in the palace, right next to that wicked king, because God has a plan to use Obadiah as he stays. But God tells Elijah to go, get out of Dodge. You need to flee. You need to get out of here. You think about this. It's the same God. Both of these men are really solid believers that are trying to listen to the Lord. They're devout. But God has different instructions for both of them. So how then do you know if you should stay or if you should go in your current situation. Now, for some of you, this is going to be really relevant. You're like, I'm, I'm literally asking this question right now. Some people said that after first service. For others of you, you're like, I don't know if I'm there right now, but you might be in two years. Should you stay or should you go? And so what I want to do is I want to give you four questions today that can help you better answer this important question. These are four questions you can ask of yourself when you're trying to decide, should I stay or should I go? Okay, here's the first question. Does the sin indirectly involve me or directly involve me? Okay, so where you hang out or where you work, there's going to be sin. Welcome to earth, right? It's going to happen no matter where you are. The question that you want to ask as you're evaluating your situation is, does the sin indirectly involve me or directly involve me? So let's say you work at an internet company, some of you do, or a cell phone company. Can people use the products that you work on, like the internet or a cell phone, for evil? 
Well, yes, right? Absolutely. But you see, there's, there's an indirect connection to that. I, I heard someone give this example once. They were talking about they worked at a restaurant and they were saying, you know, there's, some, there's some, a moral complexity to it because there'll be times where I feel like my job is to set up a nice environment for people and yet here comes a guy into the restaurant who comes in with this woman who's clearly not his wife and it's like my job to set up a nice environment for them. Well, there's an indirectness to that still because it's going to happen regardless if you're there or not, right? But he was saying one day his boss said to him that he requested of him that he lie to the IRS about his wages because it would benefit the restaurant. And he just said, hey, as a Christian, I can't do that. You're, you're now asking me to directly sin. And so he quit his job. Now, these, these are not easy answers, right? And that's why we have more than one question. But you do see kind of a distinction between indirect and direct in Scripture. I'll, I'll give you an example of this. A really fun place to read in the Bible. If you're, if you're kind of been out of Bible reading for a little while and you've got to jump back in, jump back in this week with the book of Daniel, uh, chapters 1 through 6. Such a fun part of the Bible. What you see in that narrative is you have Daniel and his good friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these four guys, they're key advisors in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And Nebuchadnezzar does all sorts of awful stuff. And yet they don't quit their job. It's interesting. But yet when they ask these four men to eat meat that's going to be sacrificed to an idol, they say, no way, we're not doing that. That was sinful. We're not going to engage in that. When they ask them to bow down to a golden statue, they say, no way. I mean, you're going to have to throw us in the fire. Because they're making a distinction between indirect and direct. Okay, second question that you can ask yourself when you're trying to decide, should I stay, should I go, is this. Is my situation pulling me closer to God or away from him? This is a really key question for every person. And what's interesting is you could have the same job and the same company as another Christian, and the answer could be different for you guys. You you think about Obadiah, right? For Obadiah, he's in a really intense position, and yet it's not pulling him away from the Lord. We're told that he's absolutely devout. He's devoted to the Lord, even in a tough situation. I think you kind of got to know yourself to answer this question. I remember when I was in college, uh, my, my Christian friends decided, I went to kind of a, I didn't go to a Christian school, kind of a party school, and, I, and my Christian friends decided that they were going to go out on the weekends to where all the parties were, and they were going to witness to people. They were going to share their faith, and they asked me to go, and I said, no, I'm not going to go. And it wasn't that I thought what they were doing was a bad idea. I thought it was an awesome idea. It's just that I was a fairly new believer, and I knew that if I went out to these parties on the weekend, that there was actually a greater chance that I would end up partying instead of sharing my faith. And so I just said, I said for me, it's great for you guys, but for me, that's actually going to pull me away from God, not pull me to God. And so you're asking, is my job, is my friendship group, Wherever you are right now, is it pulling me closer to God or is it pulling me away from God? And if you're in an environment right now with your friends or at work and it's slowly just eating away and eroding your faith, then you need to leave. Nothing is more important than your faith. I see people all the time, they'll take a job or they'll stay in a job for money or for status and it just slowly eats away at them, their life and their happiness, and their faith. Money is not more important than your faith. If it's eating away at your faith, then it may be time for you to leave. But if it's not, 
then you should highly, highly consider staying. And that leads us to our third question that you gotta ask. Should I stay, should I go? You're gonna ask this question. Is God using me here? This question becomes, I think, in our culture, more important every day. As we enter into what will be a post-Christian society here in America, just by nature of what the culture is becoming, you are going to feel the pull to go more than you will to stay. Because it's just what culture is becoming. And so it's important that we think hard about this. You know, I, I'm seeing this already in America. There are Christians more and more that we just want to flee to the margins. We just want to create our own Christian enclaves where we can have our own little society. But if we all do that, if we all go and we all flee, it doesn't take too long to think, well, then we can't do essentially what God has called us to do. The most important task that we need to fulfill as Christians is the Great Commission. It's to go, therefore, and make disciples. We can't do that if we all flee. We've been saying the last couple of months that our task as Christians is to be ambassadors. That is to be a representative of Christ within society. So we can't all flee. And so you want to ask this question, if I stayed where I was, where I am, could God use me? Is God using me there? So let me give you, just to show you the complexity of sometimes you stay, sometimes you go, I'll give you an example from the same period of my life when I was in college. So while I wasn't going out to the parties on the weekends to witness, I also decided that I needed to stay at the college where I was. Even though many Christians at our school decided to leave and go to a Christian school instead. And there was nothing wrong with going to a Christian school. It may be absolutely that God called you to those places. But for me, I'm answering this question, and I'm going, God, you know what? This is difficult, but God is using me here. So my freshman year, a couple weeks into school, uh, I got invited by my good friend Paul Risfet to go to a Bible study that had just started a couple weeks earlier. And there were 10 kids at this Bible study. Well, within one year at our school, we had 100 kids, college students, coming to our Bible study. Two years in, so now my junior year, we had 200 kids meeting at the pub on campus on Wednesday nights where we preached the gospel. And so, yeah, it would have been way easier. It would have been safer for me to just go. But God was using me there. And so I stayed. So you think back to the passage, think about Obadiah, because this is really, I pray this is helpful and inspirational to you. So Jezebel is trying to murder the remaining serious believers in God. But Obadiah is able to use his authority and his position to save 100 people's lives. So think about this. Okay, if Obadiah leaves and he's not the chief of staff, how would he even have known about Jezebel's plot to kill the prophets? Uh, if Obadiah would have fled, how would he have the resources to pull this off? Because think about it. He tells us that he's bringing food or getting food to 100 people every day. How does he have those resources? Well, he's a palace administrator. So he's using his position by staying for a greater good. And God wants him in that place. Now, there are, of course, hundreds of examples like this from history, right, during difficult times. For example, okay, think about all the Christians, true believers in Jesus, that were in high positions in Germany during World War II and the rise of the Nazis, even before World War II. 
there were many of them that seriously had to wrestle with this question. Should I stay in my position, even though this is really messed up, or should I just flee? And the Holy Spirit told some people, you got to get out of here. And to others, he said, you got to stay. And there were many, many people, there's lots of movies and books written about this, right? There were many, many people that used their authority and position to thereby rescue hundreds, sometimes thousands of Jews. Because for them, they needed to stay. And so the task of the Christian is to ask the right question. You cannot just ask, will it be easier for me if I leave? Of course it will be easier for you if you leave. But sometimes God wants you to stay even though it'll be much harder. I'm sure Obadiah would have loved to just left the palace, leave the palace, and move out into the wilderness somewhere. You know, build a cabin in the woods, escape from it all. But that wasn't God's will for his life. And it may not be God's will for your life. But we all have to ascertain what is God's will. And that leads us to the fourth and probably the most important question when you're trying to decide, should I stay or should I go? I'm in a complex situation in my life. Number four is this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? This is the ultimate question. What is God telling you to do? I'm, just talking, I'm not talking about your intuition. I'm not talking about your feelings or your thoughts. I, w- I want to know, what is God himself saying to you? Have you actually really prayed about it? Have you opened up the Bible and searched the scriptures on it and asked the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you read? Are you asking for godly counsel from your Christian friends, from your small group leader, from the elder of your house group? Are you letting the Holy Spirit speak to you through others? Have you fasted? Have you actually really, really sought the will of God on it. And a lot of us, we don't. We get in these situations, we kind of think about it for a while, but we haven't truly sought the Holy Spirit on it. But this is the task of the Christian. It is not to go with your gut. It is not to follow your heart. That is Disney, not the Bible. We, we were in the prayer meeting this morning. Pastor Dave Anderson taught about this. We were reading Jeremiah chapter 17, where it talks, the heart is deceitful above all things. So don't follow your heart. It's going to trick you into some messy situation. You need to know what is God's will for my life. And there are no cut and dry answers. There just aren't. You know, God's will for you may not be the same as another person in a similar situation. I've already given some examples this morning where some of you in your heart, as I've spoken, we're Minnesotans, so you didn't shout it out or anything, but in your heart, you're going, no, no, no. That's wrong. What you said about that restaurant or that company, that, no, that's wrong. And you know, part of the reason for that is there are different callings on different people, and God wires us in different ways with different gifts. Some of you have more of like a prophet-like personality where you just, you want to burn the whole thing down. It's just who you are. You're like, no, wrong. And there are others of you who just have this more, we, we sometimes say there's three types of personalities in the Old Testament, the prophet, priest, and the king. You're more of just the priest, and you're going, but I love the people there. I gotta stay. So some of it is just a wiring. You know, I think if you read this passage again, and I, I hope you do this week in 1 Kings 18, some of the tension that's happening, and you can feel the tension between Obadiah and Elijah, some of the tension is happening in part because I just think these two guys just don't get each other, right? Because they're different personalities with different calls. Elijah is looking at Obadiah, probably thinking, I can't believe you stayed. You heathen. 
How could you be a part of this evil system? And Obadiah is looking at Elijah going, I can't believe you left, you coward, right? Different people. And sometimes we don't understand each other's personalities and we don't understand that God has different calls on our lives and then we judge each other because of it. And so you've got to be careful about that because the Spirit speaks differently to each of us. Let me tell you something that's, I think, really important to understanding the moral teaching of the New Testament. So the New Testament is not... 10,000 different rules for 10,000 different situations. The prevailing moral teaching of the New Testament is simply this. When God's word is clear on an issue, and it is very clear on a whole lot of issues, we obey it. And when it's not, and that gets into a lot of the specifics of our lives, like I work at Cargill in 2021, and I can't decide if I should. You're not going to find Philippians 7.5. If you work at Cargill, that's when you have to go to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, what is your will for my life? One of the things that I want to challenge you to do this week, and I I pray you just make a note in your phone or write this on your bulletin or whatever. I want you to read a particular chapter in the Bible. Uh, I want you to read Romans chapter 14. It'll take you about 90 seconds, but I want you to read it this week. Romans chapter 14. And what you're going to see when you read that chapter is you'll see... I think a lot of people don't understand this. Christians can feel different convictions in the same setting. Now, I'm not saying there isn't right or wrong. I'm not saying there isn't absolute truth. If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, you'll know that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is people can often feel different convictions from the Holy Spirit because of these four questions. So what will pull one person away from God won't pull the other. And so the Spirit's going to speak differently to them. What God has called one person to do, he's not calling another person to do. It's the difference between Elijah and Obadiah. And so it is paramount that as you seek to find, should I stay or should I go, that you seek God's will through the Holy Spirit. And and listen, maybe you're here today and you're hearing about how God can use people even in dark places, but you're just thinking about your life and you're like, David, my whole life feels like a dark place right now. And my life just feels messy right now. And I'm not sure that I even know God. What I want you to know is that God comes into dark places so that you can know him. You know, God sent his son, Jesus, into this dark world. He steps off of his throne into this dark world on a rescue mission for you. That is the love of God. This is what Christianity is all about. That God, knowing all of your whole life, I mean, he knows, he's seen everything you've ever done, and he knows your future. And he looked at all of it, and he said, I love you so much, I want you in my family. And so even though you've sinned against me and against other people, I'm going to send my son Jesus and he will die on the cross and he will take the punishment that you deserved because God is holy and he is just. And Jesus dies on the cross when it should have been us. And the Bible teaches that if you believe in that, you believe that he died in your place, that he will forgive everything you've ever done and that you can have a relationship with him. 
and that he will come into your life and radically change you from the inside out. And not only will he change your life here, but by believing in him, you will spend eternity with him in heaven. That is amazing. But it's not just as simple as saying, oh, I believe that, and then continuing on with life as normal. What it is is to, is to believe and follow. It's to say, I, okay, if you have seen everything, and he's seen like everything, if you've seen everything and you love me that deeply, that much, then I want to follow you. And to follow him is to make him, we sometimes say, the Lord of your life or the leader of your life is to say, I'm surrendering everything to you. I'm going to come under you as my leader. I will do what you say because I just love and trust you that much. And if you've never made that decision before, this is what Christianity is all about. And you can make that decision today. Maybe you're just, you just stumbled into this church today. Or you just Googled it an hour ago. And God's just doing something in your life where you've been coming here for a month and you just know, I, got, I have to make a decision to become a follower of Jesus. If that's you today, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to sing a final worship song here in a moment. And I'm just going to walk out into the lobby. And if you need to make that decision today to let God save you, to forgive your sins, to become a follower of his, what I want you to do is just kind of during that last song, would you just sneak out of your row and would just come meet me in the lobby and I'll get you started on how to do that. Does it sound all right? Okay, let me pray. God, we thank you and we praise you this morning that you are a God that speaks to us. You are not far off, you are not distant, but Lord, you, you guide us on even the tiniest little things you want to speak to us and give us direction. And we're just so grateful for that. I pray over the people of this church that this week as they seek your will, many of them on this exact question of should they stay or should they go. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak clearly to the people of this church and they would just know that they know that they know your will in their life. We know you can do that and we just ask for that in the name of Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.